Lone Star 187 is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case File 21, Regina Hardwell. Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming back. We're on the Texas True Radio now, on the internet. So? So what's the story this week? Well, what you got? You know, I found a new way to find stories. Okay. You know, Russell likes to go to like Half Price Books Mm -hmm. and Movie Trading Company and GameStop sometimes to find old games that he's looking for. So we went to Half Price Books and I was with him walking around. I thought, hmm, you know, I'm going to go look at the true crime section mainly just to see if there were any books maybe that I could read in my leisure. And I started going through and there were books on cases that I had never heard of. And they were written by true crime authors. And I was like, this is the jackpot. I bought five books and they were like $2 a piece. And so the case I'm doing today was the first book I found. And it's really good. And what I found in reading the book is that this particular book is written by a reporter that took all of the stories all of the articles, and then wrote a book about it. So obviously it's credible, but what makes this even better is that some of these cases that I found are like in the late 70s, early 2000s, where like the internet was becoming popular, Mm -hmm. but wasn't at its peak yet. So this case particularly, I only found like eight newspaper articles on. So it wasn't really in the newspaper. I didn't find any articles online. So you got everything from the book that everything you referenced. Everything from the book. Yeah. And I, we may have never found this case had I not found the book. That's because cool. That's it, a good avenue. Or unless I heard someone, unless somebody told me about it. So our case takes place on June 29th of 1995 in our good old capital of Austin, Texas. We start with a man by the name of Terry Duvall. He is the fire chief, Blue Bonnet Volunteer Fire in Bastrop County. And he receives a call at 9.38 p.m. Oh, Bastrop. That's where our uncle was. There's a jail there. Penitentiary. (laughs) Penitentiary, yes, yes. A call is received at 9.38 p.m. that there's a car on fire on Market Road 1209. So about 10.10, um, Terry Duvall arrives and he sees this car is on fire. And it was very common on this road, because it's kind of deserted, that people would steal cars, dump them there, and set them on fire. So it wasn't uncommon... You know, to just find a stolen vehicle there. Uh, so he, from what he could tell as he walked up and the fire was being put out, is that it was a Jeep. Um, it had no license plates on it or wheels. Uh, the tires had melted, so the Jeep had fallen kind of on the belly of the actual vehicle. Wait, but if it didn't have wheels, well, there it, was still the, the rubber was still on there? No, the rubber was melted off. So the rims were the there. rims were there, but the actual tire was gone. Okay, and melted. Saying. And so he wa- he's walking around the Jeep to kind of see if he can figure out if there's any clues around to see wh- how this caught on fire, or if there's any any evidence on what color the Jeep was or who who the Jeep belonged to. So next to the Jeep on the ground, he finds a half scorched license plate reading RHV 33H. So there's a trail of burned grass. 
So he follows that, and it leads to an upside-down five-gallon gas can next Mm-mm. to the Jeep. So he's like, row and somebody definitely, this wasn't yeah. an accidental fire. It was definitely intentional. And near the can was like a round spot of unburned grass, which is obviously where the can was initially. Right. And it matched the circumference of the can. And opening the can, there was a burnt smell of gasoline. So obviously there was an accelerant used. He goes to look into the Jeep to see if anything left that could tell who this Jeep belonged to. And as he looks in there, he looks in the back seat and he realizes he's looking at what looks like a dead body. Oh. So he sees that there's Mm. some bones and a definite skull. And he realized this is a corpse. Because at first he thought it was just the seat. That the seat had been so charred. And it was, it had the shape of it. But then he realized, no, I'm not looking at a seat. I'm looking at a corpse. And he said at first it looked similar to a monkey that was like carved in to the seat, but it wasn't, it wasn't a monkey, of course. Um, Because he, he referenced that it looked like, you know, like black lava, how it hardens and it can take shape of things, but it wasn't. The seat, it, it was definitely horrible. So he automatically dispatches the police and it says, you know, this is definitely a crime scene because mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a person in it. So patrol sergeant John Barton arrives um, and he sees the body. It was in a fetal position. There was no soft tissue of the face or brain left. So it was all skull. The eyes had been cooked and were at the bottom of the orbital oh cavities. There were no ears, no arms or... And the legs were left as stumps. The chest was sunken in, but you could see a breast shape, so they knew it was a female. So obviously the fire started up by her head. So Sergeant Don Nelson of Bastrop County, he arrives and he starts taking pictures. And he asked to see the body and take pictures so they could be obviously turned over. So before they move anything, he takes pictures and then he says, okay, you know, we need to remove the body from the seat so we can take it in to the ME. So as they pull the body away from the Hmm. seat, they notice that there is a part that's completely unburned between the body and the seat of the Jeep. And in there is what looks like a rag. So they pull the rag out and in the rag is a knife. The only part of the knife that's burned is the very bottom part with the handle, which is wooden. And it was sticking out of the cloth, which was sticking up underneath the body, which what made kind of caught their eye. So the cloth was scorched around the edges, but the knife itself, the blade all unburned. And the you know, the edge of the handle was, was a little bit burned. But due to how bad the body was burned, they couldn't remove the body from the back seat. So they were forced to bag the entire seat, which I was, was a frame were gonna say that. and springs with the corpse attached. Yeah, I was afraid you were going to say Can that. Can you imagine Mm-mm. having to pull out the whole seat because the body is so burned? It's burned into the seat. It's into a part of the it. seat. Mm. And if they pull it, yeah, I mean, they could destroy any piece of evidence there is. So they had to bag the whole, the whole back seat. So the next day, which was Friday, June 30th of 1995, uh, medical examiner Roberto Bayardo found the deceased victim to be about 60 inches tall, which is only, what, five feet? Mm-hmm. And about 70 pounds. And oh. he did confirm that she was female. Her right foot and right lower leg were missing. And her right hand was completely gone. So she was laying on her left side mm-hmm. in the fetal position. So that's what got more of the flames. Her back was charred, but there were no bullet wounds. They found a one inch wide stab wound from the soft front portion of the neck all the way down to the fifth rib of the back. Mm-hmm. And at a 30 degree angle, five to six inches, there was a deep cut that went through an artery and through a vein of the upper lobe of her right lung. Uh, no evidence of sexual trauma. 
uh, her brain, this part got me. Her brain coagulated mm-hmm. from the heat turning into mushy jello. That's disgusting. Um, alcohol and Valium were present in her blood, and alcohol and cocaine was found in bile that was left in the liver. Um, the cause of death was deemed um, stab wound to the neck and the right chest. She had no soot or anything in her lungs, so they knew that she, she was, was dead, dead when she, she was burned alive. Thank you, God. Yeah. And then because of so badly burned, they were unable to identify any fingerprints or anything. So the... I'm going to talk about the victim. The victim later on is discovered as a girl by the name of Regina Hartwell. Regina was born into a very uh, unfortunate family. Her mom's name was um, Tony Hartwell. When her mom was young, 32, Regina was about 10, her mom was diagnosed with MS. Mm. And her mom was very strict. She never let Regina wear shorts or pants. She was only allowed to wear dresses because she felt that as a girl, that's how you should live your life. And she felt that dresses meant you were mischievous and you were going to do bad things. So she was only allowed to wear dresses. And because she was very mischievous and she liked to run around and play, She would get cut up. She would get bug bites and stuff. So she would scratch at them and she'd get scabs. Her mom, Tony, told her, you're going to, no one's ever going to like you. Your legs are going to be covered in scars. And you, here I am. I already have MS and I have to walk around with this and you have perfectly good skin and that's how you treat your body. You know, that's pretty disgusting. Mm. There was one incident where whenever her mom was dealing with MS and I mean, I know MS is very hard, but she took all of her anger of this disease out on her daughter Um, There was one incident that family recalled where uh, Regina had gone inside after playing outside and asked her mom for watermelon. It was her favorite thing to eat Mm -hmm. in the summer. Isn't it everyone's? It's perfectly hydrating. Especially in Texas, right? Yeah. So she pulls out the watermelon. She's like, Mama, will you please please cut this? I want it. I want it. And kept asking, kept asking. So Tony yelled at her and said, you know what? Fine. So she gets the watermelon out. She takes a giant butcher knife. She cuts it in half and she gives her the whole half of the watermelon. And she said, eat it. And when you're done with this, eat the other half. (gasps) And you're not going to bed till you eat all this. You want it so bad, eat it all. Freaking mommy dearest with the right. watermelon. Um, when she, when, Wouldn't that make you sick to eat that much? You'd think she would be throwing up and all that water. And then her mom, when uh, Regina did bad things, she would uh, burn cigarettes out on her as punishment. She would put cigarettes out on her. On her. Mm-hmm. Oh. And her mom, Tony, worked as she, this is kind of cool. She owned her own business in cleaning airplanes. So she went to the airport every day and she had one that was her terminal. So all planes coming in that terminal, her business cleaned those airplanes. And she would get on, work for half an hour, and then wait for the next airplane. You know, she just cleaned the airplane wow. and she would, she'd be done. So on um, April. Cool unless somebody threw up. On April 22nd, 1982, while working, her mom was walking through a metal hangar door, and as she passed through, another employee slid open a portion of the hangar with the tractor and didn't see her or hear her, and the hangar slammed on her and snapped shut and crushed her to death. So The mom? The mom. So at 14, um, Regina lost her mom. Oh, my God. Is that karma? I mean... And she never knew her dad. If you're going to treat your... I'm not saying she deserved that no, at all. No, no, uh, no. Nobody she... deserves that. So that's she never terrible. knew her dad. Her mom had remarried a man named Mark Hartwell, and that's the only dad she really ever knew. Was he good to her? He was. Um, he was good to her for the most part. Yeah. So in 1986, which was four years after her mom mm-hmm. died, um, she was 16. So she, I'm sorry, she was 12 when her mom died. 1986, she was awarded $400,000 at 16 for her mother's death because she was considered a wrongful death because the it was a malfunction 
of the $400,000, it was going to be placed in a trust and it, it would be distributed over the next years till she was 25. Uh, she received some money right away and she bought some stuff for her friends like gifts, purses, toys, things like that. But her stepfather also bought her a Porsche and he got remarried. Sorry, it's Porsche. It's a Porsche. Um, <laughs> you can tell I don't know nothing about no Porsche. Um, he, he got remarried and he left and went to Seabrook, Texas. So she was still living in, um, they didn't live in Austin at the time. I think they lived right outside of Austin. And so she stayed there. She wasn't going to leave and go to Seabrook. So CPS was notified that she was left in the home by herself at 16. But you know what the state said? She has 400 grand. She's got a house. She's got food. She's got a place to sleep. We can't be bothered with her. She's 14. 16. She's 16. Oh, okay. She's got a car. She's got a car. She can get herself to school. If she doesn't, truancy will come after her and we'll contact the stepfather. She's got plenty of money. Mm -mm. She's got plenty of means. She'll be fine. So for the next two years. So all of a sudden having all this money makes you immediately mature enough to make decisions as if Mm -hmm. you were an 18 to 21 year old. Not that you're mature and make great decisions when you're 18, but... Much better than when you're 16. Correct. And you had a jacked up childhood and your mom's dead and your stepdad's gone. And so I think I would just have crazy parties. Well, that's what she did. For that's two what years. I would do. For two years, she partied. I mean, she had this money. What else the was house, she going to do? The house was paid for. She had to pay a mortgage. Her car was paid for. All she had to pay for was basic bills like water and Utilities. electricity. Mm-hmm. There was no internet. Maybe she had cable. I mean, she, she had a lot of money. So by 18, um, her senior year, she had a party at her house every weekend, 40 to 50. So she stayed in school and graduated? Uh-huh. Yep. For so her. 40 to 50 teens would come to her house every weekend for food, liquor, beds, and orgies. Uh, oh. Regina started experimenting with women. Some of them were five to six years older than her. She met a girl named Patricia who was bisexual and kind of showed her that world. And she enjoyed it. So she kind of felt like maybe maybe I like women instead of men. So it kind of opened up her sexuality a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then in 1988, she graduated from Pasadena High School. And she bought a Ford Mustang and gave the Porsche back to her stepdad and moved to Austin to go to college. That's what she wanted to do. So she moved to Austin and she started, because this new this new life of being a lesbian, which she had knew nothing about, gave her a lot of confidence and a lot of excitement about what was to come. So she started frequenting a lesbian bar in Austin called Sadie's, where she met her best friend, Nema. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's spelled Y-N-E-M-A. So I'm thinking the Y is silent. It's just Nema. Or Enema. I'm going to say Nema. If I say it wrong, I'm so sorry. Mangum. M-A-N-G-U-M. Man- Mangum? Mangum. I don't know. So I'm just going to call her Nema. Call her Y. Why? Why? So she meets her and um, she becomes best friends with her. She's someone that she trusts and really opens up to. And so over the next six years or so, she drinks, she dates. She's trying to find love with money. So that's kind of the, the the path she starts she starts to have over the next six years while she's living in Austin, and while she's in Austin, she meets a girl by the name of Kim LeBlanc. Kim is very young; she's only um, seventeen. Whenever Regina meets her, so I'm going to go back to the day of the crime. The next day, 
So she lived in a like a chateau apartment or apartment whatever, and she had a really good friend um, named Jeremy Barnes who lived just down from her. So Jeremy goes to Regina's apartment to get some cookware that he had borrowed and see how messy her apartment was. He said she left her apartment disgusting. She was very messy, and he was always like, "Oh, what am I going to find today?" She also had uh, two animals, and so he was going to go check on them too. He got to the apartment; it was very messy. There were beer bottles everywhere, cigarette packs, ashtrays. The bathroom was disgusting. There were used tampons everywhere. Oh my gosh, really? Um, and the dog had gotten into the trash can. You know how dogs mm. are. It's yuck, just yuck, yuck. disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, her dog's name was Spirit. And he noticed that next to the recliner in the living room, there was a big stain. And he's like, this heifer left this nasty-ass apartment and with my cookware in it. This is so disgusting. She's such a slob. He noticed that she had left no water or food for her animal, which he thought was weird. But he's like, well, she's been... A little bit crazy lately, so I'll just take care of the dog, get my cookware, and be gone. Mm -hmm. So he leaves. And uh, another one of Regina's friends, her name is Anita Morales. This is another very important friend of hers. She, uh, Anita Morales, had done an internship at the Austin Police Department after college. And she was driving past Regina's apartment this Friday morning. And she's like, you know, it's been a while since I've heard from her. Maybe I should stop by. But she's like, no, I'm just going to go home. I've had a long day. I'm just going to go home. So the next day is Saturday, July 1st, 1995. So it's been two days since Mm -hmm. they found the car. Um, And Anita Morales and her roommate Carla um, talk about how they haven't heard from Regina recently. Um, So they're like, let's just go to her apartment. Okay, so at this point, no one's heard from her. No one's heard from her. No one knows that she's missing or that she could be missing. They just know they haven't heard from her. So they went to her apartment and she had a window in her apartment that was broken, that had been broken since she'd been there. So if people went there and they couldn't get through the front door, they just went through a window. (laughs) And it was just kind of unspoken with her friends. So they went through the window and they saw like bloody tissues all over the floor. They're like, oh, it's probably part of the tampons that, you know, her dog had chewed up. Um, drug from the trash can and they knew she had been a slob they were kind of worried like i hope she didn't od because apparently she'd been doing drugs she'd been doing cocaine you know they did find cocaine and bile and alcohol so they were thought maybe she had passed out she wasn't in the room and they found her dog in the bedroom they went into the bathroom and her makeup was still there and she did her makeup and took it everywhere she went regardless she never left without her makeup and that was still there so like well wherever she went she didn't go far Mm because she's going to be back and then she had a favorite you'll appreciate this she wore her Doc Martens with everything. Yes. Dresses, pants, shorts, didn't matter. Wore them all the time. They were there. Now, like, she's not leaving without mm-hmm. her Doc Martens. So um, her purse was on the bed. So they went next door to Jeremy's. They are like, have you seen Regina? Something's up. He's like, yeah, I haven't seen her since last week. She was going to be gone for a while, so she asked me to clean her apartment. And so they're like, okay, well... That makes sense. So the girls go back to the apartment. And they decide we're going to go through her caller ID because maybe she called someone or yeah. maybe someone called she her. Maybe she called them and left a message right. or maybe her cell like, phone Hey, I'm stranded right. somewhere. If you right. come to my house, help me. Mm-hmm. So they go through. They don't recognize any of the numbers that have been calling. But then they see one that they recognize, which was Kim LeBlanc. But her number's busy, so they can't get a hold of her. They called one of her friends named Liz. And she said, yeah, we were supposed to have lunch or dinner the other night. And she stood me up, which wasn't uncommon lately. So I didn't think much about it. They're like, all right, well, um, they continue to try and call Kim. Still couldn't reach her. So they go back to their apartment. They're like, well, there's really nothing else we can do. Just wait a couple of days, see if we hear from her. That evening, Saturday, July 1st, that evening, uh, Jeremy goes over to her apartment to clean. And he started in the bathroom and he saw tiny splatters of blood next to the commode and some in the shower and some on the wall of the bathroom. But he wasn't alarmed. Okay. She was using cocaine. 
he well he she she was a cocaine addict and he said she would get nosebleeds a lot and sometimes yeah but it does it how does it splatter on the floor and on the wall so he said that she would joke sometimes that she did so much cocaine she could stick her finger in her nose and hit nothing and he noticed there was some above the toilet paper holder so he scrubbed the bathroom counter clean put everything away including her makeup and um, a makeup towel she used every day to take her makeup off then he went to the living room and he noticed more blood splatters on the wall and um, she had a really cool table which i'll show you in the book it was a coffee table and it was black and white checkered. And he noticed there were some blood on there too. So he cleaned that off. And then next, the leather recliner was the big stain he saw the other day. And he was so frustrated with her. He's like, you know, she tried to move this giant chair to cover up this stain. Like I wasn't going to see it. Was she tricking me thinking mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to clean her apartment? So she tried to cover it up. So he moved it and he cleaned the stain. So the next day, which is Sunday, July 2nd, um, he starts to worry about her. Don't tell and, me he cleaned up the crime scene. I mean, he cleaned up Shit. the entire house. Wiped all the blood clean. Damn it. Okay. He starts to get worried because, again, her dog has no food or water. And he's like, despite how of an addict she might be, she would never leave her dog the way she did. It just wasn't like her. And if she was ever late, she would call him and say, hey, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be gone. Mm -hmm. Can you take care of Spirit? He went by and what alarmed him the most is that the apartment was still immaculate. And he's like... Uh, even she if she came by, hasn't been here. yeah. Even if she came by to change, there clothes, would be some evidence of that. She would have left cigarette butts or something, or she would at least notice I cleaned, and she would have paid me because she always paid him for cleaning. So he called Anita, and he's like, "Something's weird. She didn't take care of Spirit, and she didn't pay me for cleaning. So something isn't and right." And she hasn't been home, right? So the next day, which is Monday, July the third. So it's been almost a week now, right? Um, yeah, because it was found on the twenty ninth, third. Yeah, on Monday, July third, and her friend Anita's anxiety is getting really bad, so she's trying to call everybody she knows. To find out if they've heard from Regina and no one's heard from her. So the next day is Tuesday, July 4th. And Jeremy calls Anita and Carla and says, you know, have y'all heard from her? Do y'all know anything? Um, You know, it's still another day we haven't heard from her. So Jeremy said he'd gone through her caller ID when he was cleaning. He found blood. And Anita and her roommate Carla were like, well, why did you clean it up? If you saw blood, why didn't you just call the police? And he's like, well, I knew she was on her period because there were tampons everywhere. And she's had nosebleeds, so I didn't think much about it. So Anita's like, oh my God, what if she did have a nosebleed? Or what if she fell and she's in the hospital? So Anita and her friends start calling all the hospitals. That's smart. And all the jails. They have no luck. So they call Kim LeBlanc again, and they paged her. And Kim returned the the call. The pager. (laughs) Yeah, right. Kim returned the call. And Kim said, no, I haven't heard from her, um, but I'm on my way. I'll, I'll come there now. So Anita does star 69 because she wants to know where has Kim been? Because Kim has had played a very crucial part of... Well, uh, and her number was busy. Yeah. Like the phone was off the hook. Yeah. Right? So Anita calls back and a man answered. And she assumed that it was Justin Thomas who was Kim's boyfriend. So she said, Justin, I need to talk to Kim. And um, Kim told her, yeah, me and Regina got in a really big fight last Wednesday. And we agreed that we needed space. And I haven't heard from her since. She said, but don't worry, I'm on my way. We'll, I'll talk about it when we get there. Kim gets there. The first thing she asks when she gets there is, is her makeup here? And they said, yes. They said, is Spirit here? Yes. Is her purse here? Yes. Kim said, well, I know Regina was upset because I decided to be with Justin instead of with her. Because mm, this was the girl that she was really, really in love with, right? Yes. Okay. And that Kim had taken Justin, which was her boyfriend, over to Diva. So apparently Diva was Regina's drug dealer. 
And Regina didn't want Kim taking other people over there because she had all the money and she wanted to have her own personal drug dealer. She'd get drugs at any time and didn't want to risk him running out. So she didn't want him taking her, ta- <laughs> them going to anyone else. Get so, your own dealer. Yeah. So Anita, her friend Anita, told Kim, well, we've fa- there's blood in the apartment. And so Kim starts freaking out. So she goes into the bathroom and she sees this large round stain on the bathroom counter. So she goes to the kitchen and she gets a bottle of dishwashing liquid and she starts like in a crazed fashion trying to clean this spot up. And she's screaming and she's crying. Jeremy's on his way home from work and he walks past Regina's apartment and he hears crying. He's like, oh my God, she's okay. She's okay. So the door's locked and he hears crying. So he's like... Reg, Reg, I'm here, I'm here, I'm on my way, I'm trying to get in. So he's running to the other side of the apartment. He's getting in the broken window. He jumps in the apartment, he takes off running, and he runs into the bathroom to find Kim. And he's like, what the hell? I thought you were Regina. What are you doing? I've been trying to clean that spot for weeks, and I, I can't, or for days, I can't get rid of it. It must be a rough spot. Just leave it alone. And Kim's like, this is my fault. I should have called her. I should have come to check on her. Regina told me she was going to move back in with her parents, and she was going to get straight and stop doing drugs. But Regina told me that she wasn't going to pay my rent anymore, and she gave me an ultimatum that either Justin goes or I go. So she was paying her rent. Kim had told Regina, I couldn't, I can't choose you. I'm not a lesbian. I tried, but I'm not in love with you. So was she only doing it for the money? Girl, she's only 18. All right, then. I love you like a sister. I don't love you like a partner. So Anita was like, this is so not good. So the four of them, so Anita and her roommate, Carla, Jeremy, her neighbor, Mm -hmm. and Kim, her lover friend, start searching the apartment looking for her day planner because her day planner had her dad's number in it and had other people's number in it. So they start looking. Well, as they're looking, they don't find her dad's number, but they decide, well, we need to call the police. But first, we need to get rid of all the drugs, all the sex toys, all the drug paraphernalia, and anything that's going to cause them to not believe her or think, oh, she's just a druggie, yep. whatever. We need to do anything that. Anything incriminating. And then, and then we'll call the police. So they get all that stuff, they put it in a bag, and they go put it in the dumpster outside. Couldn't they have just put it in one of their own cars and not I know, the or dumpster? In, in Jeremy's apartment, you know? Maybe he didn't want it. Maybe. So Timothy Pruitt, who is the officer that received the call about the uh, Regina missing, Pruitt arrives to the home at 527 and the four friends tell him about their friend and how she had inherited $3 million. I thought it was 400000 That was the first installment. Oh. So two of her friends were on her bank account. Okay. So the officer noticed a red spot on the coffee table and he asked, um, stop talking. Is that blood? And the friends were like, oh, yeah, there was blood everywhere, but we cleaned it up. The officer's like, well, if she has all this money, couldn't she just buy new things? Like, how do you know she didn't just... People can go missing if they want to. And if she has all this money, because they were telling her, telling him, you know, she left without her makeup. She left without her purse, her Doc Martens. He's like, well, she's got $3 million. She can go buy all new stuff in a whole new life. And he asked a few more questions. He stayed about an hour and then he left. No evidence, no blood smears, no pictures. He took nothing with him. And so... Her friend sounds pretty dismissive, mm-hmm. but I guess if he didn't really have any hard evidence to prove one way or the other, but you think he could have been like, Oh, that's blood, let me just get, get a little a bit of that blood mm-hmm. and just send it. And if it's hers, maybe it was a small enough amount he wasn't concerned. So, the friend Nema, I was talking about earlier that she met when mm-hmm. that Regina met when she first went to Austin, Anita calls her and says, Hey, because she's the beneficiary, and Nema is the beneficiary on 
Regina's bank account. So she asked Nema, can you check her account? Like maybe she isn't somewhere else. See if it's money's being Has she been using stuff? So she checks it and she calls Anita back and said, money's been taken out of her account every single day for the last six days, two to $300. So Kim says, oh, that's me. She told me I could take out money every day as long as I needed it to take it. And they're like, what do you need two to $300 a day for? She's like, my drug habit's bad. And she told me whatever I needed, I could have it. So don't judge me. But she told me I could have it. Oh my God. So every day, $300 has been going out of her account. So that takes us to the next day, Wednesday, July 5th. Cops have done nothing, no leads. So Jeremy goes over to Regina's house to feed the animals. And while he's there, the phone rings. And the caller ID says Bastrop County Sheriff's Department. He's like, oh, motherfucker, she's in jail. So he's like, finally. He sees the call, but he misses the call. So he was like, I'll call the number back. So he calls the number back and he's like, oh, I think my friend's in jail. They're like, okay, who's your friend? So he tells them, my friend's Regina Hartwell. I'm in her apartment, blah, blah, blah. So investigator Don Nelson took the call and he said, now, who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm Jeremy. I'm, I'm her best friend. I live next door. I've been taking care of her animals. He said, well, we found a Jeep that's burned with the female body inside and we cannot identify the body because we don't have any dental records. So where are you now? He's like, oh, I'm in her apartment. He's like, stop. Don't touch anything. Hang up the phone. What's your phone number? I'm going to call you at your apartment. He's like, well, but I've already cleaned the apartment. He's like, take her dog. Go to lock the door. Don't touch anything else. So he goes to his apartment. And he answers and he's like, are you saying what I think you're saying? Are you saying that you found Regina Hartwell? Are you saying my best friend's burned? Mm -hmm. And he said, all I can tell you is we have a Jeep. The Jeep is registered to Regina Hartwell and there's a burned body inside. That's female. That's all we know. So the next day, Jeremy calls Anita, her friend Anita, and says, this is what I've heard. So Jeremy is like, I don't know what to do. Anita's like, let's call and ask if we can see the body. Because if we can see, maybe we'll know that maybe it's her. Maybe we can identify her. They call Don Nelson. And he's like, yeah, no. You next can't. of kin has to ID. You, you can't see her. And they're like, okay. They call Officer Pruitt. Nema does. The one that is on the account. And he's like, I'm concerned. There's money missing from her account. Kim is the one saying that she's been taking it. And she started acting really funny. So I want y'all to come and talk to her. Yeah, investigate her. At 3.42 p.m. on Thursday, July the 6th, Texas Rangers and detectives are sent out to the apartment of Regina Hartwell. They block off the apartment and start searching. And Nema goes and closes Regina's bank account to stop any further activity. And would you like to know how much was in her account? $8,000. But I thought she was only taking two or 300 a day. There was only $8,000 in that account when they, when they closed it. Did it show major withdrawals between the two... Yeah, I'll, I'll okay. All so right, all her friends were taken to the down. station for questioning, obviously, because they want to know what's going on. So Jeremy tells them everything about the blood and the paraphernalia, and he just kept apologizing. I'm so sorry. I didn't know it was that bad. She's a slob. I've seen her tampons before everywhere. She's blood on her sheets. She's blood all over. I mean, it just wasn't uncommon. I didn't think she would be hurt. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, he just felt so awful. I'm sure I would And too. he's like, there's a bag of stuff in the dumpster. I'll take you to it. It has drugs in it. It has sex toys in it. It's got paraphernalia. I mean, whatever you need, I will do. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was ruining a crime scene. And of course, they didn't blame her, you know. So yeah. Jeremy tells them how Regina was in love with Kim LeBlanc. But her boyfriend, Justin, deals drugs and runs guns. Regina fronted Justin, Kim's boyfriend, the money to start up a business. So detectives ask friends, why don't you page Kim? They don't want to spook her and tell mm-hmm. her, meet me at Regina's because we need to talk to you. Because they, they were afraid that if the detectives called, oh, she yeah, wouldn't yeah. show up. So they page her and she says, okay, I'll, 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 I'll be there in just a little bit. She didn't show up. 
So the detectives arrive at the apartment of Justin Thomas, and they find her and him asleep in her in his bed. Justin refused to go downtown unless they had a warrant. Kim was agreeable, but she was completely high. They couldn't tell what it. she was on, but her eyes, there's a picture I'll post that I'll show. Her eyes are like half open, half closed, and you could tell she's just, she's messed up. Big time. A little bit about Kim LeBlanc. Okay. She was born as Kimberly Alex Derrick on May 17th of 1976 in Houston, Texas. Her mother married a man named Ken, who she saw as a father and looked up to. But he sexually molested her most of her life. Oh, my God. Um, he told her how, she, as she was getting older, she was turning 13. He explained how sex works and how the only way to know how to pleasure your husband later in life is to learn by your friends. But because she had trashy friends, she should learn from him. Oh, my God. So he had sex with her repeatedly. Didn't she, she didn't tell her mom? No. Come on. Um, oh. Didn't tell her mom. And the, the how the conversation started was she was telling him how she had a crush on a boy. And he took that as an opportunity to... What a bastard. Yeah, use her. He told her, your mom will die without me because I support and I run this whole family. So if you tell her, it'll be your fault when you have no food and you have nowhere to live and she dies. What a narcissistic asshole. Right? So she started drinking and having sex with I'm boys. Sure. That's what happens. And taking pills. Uh, she was a cheerleader at Lake Travis. Uh, Texas, which is where she was from before she moved to Austin. She graduated. So she was uh, 18 when she moved to Austin. And how Regina and Kim met, we're going to go back to July 4th of 1994. Okay. So this was just a year, almost a year before she was killed. So she was killed June 1995. And this is a year prior, July 4th of 1994. Uh, Regina was at Club 404, which was a gay bar. And she spotted Kim from across the bar and smiled and was like, oh, my God, she's beautiful. But she told everyone, I don't like her because I can tell she's straight and I don't want her to lead me on. But I I really do like her. So after two weeks of hanging out with her, after Regina's been hanging out with Kim, she tells her friend Anita, I'm in love with her. I'll kill anyone to be with her. Mm. Um, if anyone tries to take her away from me or steer her in another direction, I'll kill him. But she's who I want to be with. Who said this? Regina? Regina said this about Kim. Okay. Knowing that she was straight. That's odd. But, felt, but she felt like, well, she came into a gay club, so obviously she's curious. So Regina decided well, she to could give... have been there with her gay friend. Yeah. Just because you go into a gay club doesn't mean you're gay. You... No. Agreed. So at that point, after knowing her just a couple weeks, Regina gives Kim a card to her bank account and told oh. her, I don't want you to ever be without. I can't have you ever wanting for anything. So I want you to have my bank card and... You take out money anytime you want. And Regina stopped hanging out with a lot of her friends. And all she did was tried to win over Kim and her friends. So she would hang out with Kim and all of Kim's friends, but she stopped seeing her, her friends. Regina decided to pay for a cruise to the Bahamas for uh, Regina, Kim, and two of Kim's friends. Didn't invite any of her friends. And there she confessed to Kim. At, on the trip to the Bahamas, Regina tells Kim, I have $10 million that I'm going to be getting by the time I'm 25, which is next year. So she said, I'll give you an allowance of $300 a day, and I'm going to give you a Porsche that my stepfather gave me because I want you to have a nice vehicle. So she tells her, you have $300 a day, so that's $2,100 a week, mm -hmm. and here's a Porsche 911. So Regina tells her friends her and Kim weren't sleeping together, but she held on to every ounce of affection. Right. 
and ran with it even when they were on drugs because there was a couple times that Kim took ecstasy and was flirtatious with Regina in front of her friends. But as we know, ecstasy makes you feel good about you love everyone, everything mm-hmm. feels good. So Regina wanted Kim to do ecstasy. What do you wait, what do you mean as as we know? Are you assuming I've done X? You don't know. No, but we know we know about drugs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I haven't done them. You know, I'm I don't know. I'm too scared to do anything. Right. So it it's the love drug, right? So everybody mm-hmm. loves everybody and so that's not really a stretch. Nobody no. would think anything of it because they were both on X. Right. So. Yeah. And but Regina can tell that when Kim's on X, she's more willing to be affectionate, make out with her, maybe not have sex with her, but she'll make out with her, she'll hug on her, mm-hmm. and she feels that affection. Okay, so I'm going to fast forward to January of 1995. So for the next five months, Regina's just spending money, doing drugs with Trying Kim. Trying to keep, keep them on X so that she gets that, right. that little bit of affection that she... So Regina decides that Kim needs her own apartment, right? Her own apartment to do with whatever in. So she decides to rent an apartment for Kim. And then she tells her for New Year's this year in January, I wanted to go to New York and take everyone. But the way that her trust worked is she got money on her birthday and it had to last her a year. And then on her next birthday, she got her next installment until she hit 25. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, her birthday was in February. So in January was always rough times for her because she spent it all throughout the year. So she's like, sorry, guys, I really wanted to do to take you guys to New York, but I've hit a little bit of dry season. I got to wait till next month. So she had no money for cocaine. So she had gone over to Jeremy Barnes apartment and she was detoxing big time. And Jeremy held her. And I believe from what I could tell, I think Jeremy was gay. So there wasn't any, no, they were just good friends. They were just really good friends. Mm -hmm. He loved her and he was there for her. Um, so he just talked her through it. What a good guy. Yeah. Right. It's a good friend. I hope he still doesn't harbor any bad feelings yeah. for cleaning up the apartment. But so Regina decides she really wants to make this New York thing happen. So she decides to trade cars with Kim, give Kim her Jeep and sell the Porsche, take the Porsche, sell it and then go to New York. So that's what she did. She gave her Jeep to Kim, took the Porsche, sold it, used that money and they went to New York. Okay. And while in New York, Kim confessed to Regina, I'm sorry, I just don't love you like that. I'm actually in love with a man who's actually gay, but I'm in love with him, and I was molested. So Regina's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that you yeah. had gone through all that. She she just felt really, really bad because knowing you know she was a victim herself by mm-hmm. her mom, you know, being um, physically abused and mentally and emotionally abused. So she she told her, I accept that we can't be lovers. Um, I accept that maybe we can't be what we want, but that doesn't mean that I'm gonna take away your money. It doesn't mean that our relationship will change. Because in Regina's mind, she thinks, just give her time. Mm-hmm. She'll learn to love me. So they go back to Texas. Regina stills continue paying for Kim's rent, her groceries, her drinking, her drugs, and her clothes, but hoping that things will feel different. That she'll change her mind. That sh- she'll come around. Um, Regina decided to let Kim uh, live her life, do what she wanted to do, and... She's just going to leave her alone for a yeah, while. Yeah, and she said, you know what? I'm going to quit drugs. I'm going to get clean. I'm going to get a job. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be better with life. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like the way I'm living. Maybe if I'm a different person, maybe Kim will fall for me. So she was going to be turning 25 in February. And she had found a job through a friend working for Xerox, selling printers. And Oh, I thought you meant like the letter Z. R-O-C-K. Xerox. Oh, no. Xerox. <laughs> like the paper and the printer. Yeah. Okay. 
So one of her friends got her a job there. But when they asked her to come in for a drug test, she declined the job because she'd been smoking pot and she didn't want to make her friend look bad. So she just didn't get the job. And she decided, you know, my 25th birthday is coming up. So uh, I'm going to get the last of my money. So I'll just wait. So on February the 10th of 1995, she threw herself her own party. She rented the presidential suite at Embassy Suites. She ordered three limos filled with Don Dom Perignon, and she took a hundred friends out to eat at her favorite restaurant um, and had her favorite dinner. And they went back to the hotel with drinking and drugs all night long. But you know what the saddest part was for me when I was reading this part? She only got three gifts. What? You know, like she just paid for a hundred people to have dinner, and of the hundred, only three people gave her gifts. And those three people: Jeremy were Barnes, Jeremy, Anita, Anita. and Nema. That's it. Nobody else gave her anything. Not even Kim, the girl that she's paying for everything. So Kim had been talking about wanting to go back to school, that the whole reason why she went to Austin was to go to school, but she didn't really have the money. Her parents, you know, so Kim's like, this is going. So Regina's like, don't worry, I'm going to take five grand. I'm going to put in a mutual fund for you to go to school. So Jeremy Barnes pulls Regina aside and was like, you just had a birthday and it's about you sometimes. So why don't we go replace this shitty ass furniture you have in your apartment because all this shit's bad. She had brand new furniture. She gave it to Kim to put in her apartment and replaced it with Goodwill furniture. She's, he's like, you have plenty of money to buy stuff. Spend it on yourself. And she's like, I don't know how. He's like, well, we're about to learn. Mm-hmm. So he took all her stuff to the dumpster and they went to the store and they bought the really cool coffee table that was checkered and a black leather couch. So on April 14th of 1995, this was the day before Regina's birthday. Regina buys Kim a diamond ring. A Gucci watch, a phone, and a CD player for her new Jeep. Kim's like, thanks, but I'm going to sell the CD player for eight ball of Coke because I don't have any money. And Regina's oh like, God. it's all right. I'll just go buy it for you. So it's supposed to be her birthday, right? And she, that's how, that's how Kim treats her, right? Great friend. Mm-hmm. So now it's March and it's Jeremy's birthday. So he tells her. He tells so, so Jeremy tells Regina, it's my birthday. I don't know what I want to do. I think I want to, because uh, t- she told him, well, let's go to Gap. I know you like that place. Let's go there. And so they went to Gap and looked around. He couldn't find anything. So she just gave him $100. And he's like, you know, I'm not saying I wanted more from her, but this bitch took everything from her day after day. And she gave her the moon. And I was there for her when she detoxed multiple times. I helped take care of her. And she gives me 100 bucks. you know? Like, because she didn't have to buy my friendship, I get nothing, you know? After she gave him that money, she went and got a Honda bike uh, under her name and Kim's name. And then she she bought an eight-foot-long jet ski under their names, Kim and Regina, and then planned a trip to Cancun for Kim's birthday and bought a new set of tires for Kim's Jeep. Because, you know, she gave her her Jeep. Mm Mm-hmm. So fast forward two months to May of 1995, Regina is like, she's back on this kick. She's going to get clean. So she decides to take a job at a dry cleaner company called Kim's Dry Cleaner. And Kim decides <laughs> that. And Kim, Was it Kim's actual dry cleaner? Did she buy her a dry cleaning business? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, right? So Kim starts, uh, Kim works at World Gym as a receptionist. And she meets a man named Justin Thomas. This is in May of 1995. And she said that he walked in and he took her breath away. He was so gorgeous, which I'll show you pictures in a minute. 
But he was married to a woman named Dawn who lived in California and they had two children. And after Kim saw him a few times, she could tell that he did some type of business with World Gym. He would come in. Sometimes he worked out. Sometimes he didn't. Mm -hmm. He would come in and work out clothes with a gym bag. He'd go in the office and then he would leave with an empty gym bag and things just didn't really seem right. Yeah. So sketch. um, There was one incident where he goes into the office and she knows he's in there. So she finds a reason to page the manager in there and goes in there and then brushes up against him and finds out his last name, looks him up in the world gym, finds his pager number and pages him. So he's a little psycho. Desperate, you know? So she pages him and he, he call he answers on his car phone and she's like, Hey, you want to hang out? And he's like, how did you get my number? She's like, don't worry about that. What's meant to be is meant to be. So let's hang out. And he's like, all right, um, I'll be in town for a couple more days and then I'm gonna be gone, but we can hang out. So (laughs) they hung out, they did cocaine. And then Justin was like, Hey, I have some, you're going to be snorting that all night long. I got some better stuff for you. It's called crystal meth. Case File 21, Regina Hartwell, to be continued.